agenda is not a political agenda. We have a kingdom agenda. We have a kingdom manifesto. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the kingdom manifesto this morning. Jesus Christ came, and I believe in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he made his political statement. He says, the, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. If you want to know what Jesus' agenda was, this is it right here. This was Jesus' purpose. This was Jesus' cause. This is why he came to planet Earth. And there were political groups that tried to recruit Jesus. There were men who tried to influence Jesus to political purposes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, many other different groups that tried to persuade Jesus to go in a particular direction, but he said, I must be about my father's business. Church, no matter who's in the White House, no matter who our governor is, no matter who we elect to the Senate or to the House, we need to remember that we must be about our father's business. And the po politics of this world will not control the church. The White House cannot control the upper room. Amen? Our, our prayer is more powerful than any vote, than any decision, than any legislation, than any law that is passed down. Our influence, church, is greater than any political influence, and we need to realize that. We've got to understand that. Amen? We we've got to depoliticize the church. And we've got to come back to the manifesto. We've got to come back to the cause that Jesus Christ has called us for. In, in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, we, we hear more, I think, about this manifesto that Jesus has given. He says, God so loved the world. These are the words of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. <coughs> Excuse me. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's it right there. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We need to remember and understand that the kingdoms of this world are in darkness. The rulers of this world, there, there are times when God raises righteous men and puts them into offices. And, and I, I believe that every man that has ever been in office is appointed by God. I, got, I believe God puts them there. I believe that God, oftentimes God puts wicked men in office because we need wicked leaders to work his purpose. That's a reality. And the Bible tells us that no matter who's in office, no matter who is in, in, in authority, we are to submit to them. Peter said even the crooked and perverse, we are su to submit to the authority of their leadership. You think about that. God gives us the leadership that we deserve. God gives us the leadership that we need. Oftentimes it's to discipline us, to correct us, and to get us back on the right course. We need to understand that. But ultimately, God's purpose is not a political agenda. It is the kingdom for which his, his son came preaching and gave his life to establish. And he said that, that he was going to build his church on the rock of the revelation that he was the son of God and that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. I don't care what government rises, it, it will not prevail against the church. And the gates, we need to understand this, the gates is literally talking about the place of authority, the place of government. Wicked governments will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We are going to win. We are going to win. The kingdom is going to be advanced. The gospel is going to be preached, regardless of what happens in this world politically. Jesus' purpose is going to be fulfilled and his kingdom is going to be established. We need to understand that. Judas didn't betray Jesus because he didn't like him. That's not the reason that Judas betrayed Jesus. 
Judas actually had a political motive. Judas had been a part of a political group that wanted freedom from Rome. And he thought that by betraying Jesus, he was going to accelerate this kingdom that Jesus had been preaching about establishing. He thought he was helping Jesus to get into a place of revolution. He thought that when Jesus was put in jail by the Romans that his, his followers would riot and revolt against Rome and that a revolution would take place and the Jews would be free from Rome. That's what Judas thought. That's why when Jesus was hung on the cross, he went and hung himself. Because he thought his political ambitions had been, had been destroyed. See, here's the point of that. Whenever we get our, 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 our motives wrapped up in political ambitions, we think that, listen, Trumpism can become idolatry or Bidenism or Democrat or Republican, it can become an idol to us that if we're not careful, we will miss the purpose of God. Trump is not a savior. Biden is not a savior. They are not. We need to realize that. And when we get our motives wrapped up in political ambitions, we will miss, like Judas, the purpose of God. Think about it. We need to be careful about it. Jesus has given his political agenda to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the purpose of his kingdom. That's the purpose of the church on planet Earth today. And he reiterates this in what's called the Great Commission. He, he re reiterates to his disciples that he's leaving them here to establish his kingdom on planet Earth. I want to go this morning. I've got a notebook, which I don't often have. But I've got a notebook because I've got a lot of scriptures I want to read to you this morning. I want to read the Great Commission, every instance of the Great Commission in Scripture. You know there are at least five instances of the Great Commission, one in every gospel, one in the book of Acts. Five times the Great Commission is in Scripture. How many of you know that if it's in the Scripture often, it's important? Don't stop on little things that aren't emphasized and make doctrines on those things. We need to focus on the big things and make doctrines on those things. How many of you know the Great Commission is important if it's in at least five books of the Bible? It's important, right? So let's look in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read through the Great Commission. We need to get familiar with our commission because this is our assignment. The Great Commission is the assignment of the church. It's the reason that we're on planet Earth. You're not here to work a job, build a big house, drive nice cars, suck up oxygen, You're here for a purpose, church. You're on planet Earth for a reason, to advance the gospel. Your, your, your role as a Christian is not to show up at church, sit on a pew, put a check in the offering plate, and say amen when the preacher's preaching good. There's more to Christianity than that. You're on mission. You're here on Earth to make a difference, to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why you're here. Is that your life's purpose? Is that your life's cause? Now, God can use us in business. God can use us in a school. He can use us in the marketplace. Wherever God has placed you, he can use you there, in your neighborhood, in your family. How many of you know your family members need Jesus? All right, if you've been to the Hayes family reunion, you know some of them need Jesus. I don't know if your family's like mine. We put the fun in dysfunctional, right? <laughs> Literally, I, 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 I've seen my uncle and my nephew, or my, my, my uncle and his nephew almost killed each other. Nephew shows up high on drugs, leaves the family reunion, beating himself over the head with a folding chair, right? My family needs Jesus. Your family needs Jesus, right? They need Jesus. You're in your family because they need Jesus. You're at that workplace because they need Jesus. Right? You're in that school because they need Jesus. That's your mission in life, to preach the gospel wherever you go. That's your mission. Let's look at it. Rome, or Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. This is a great promise right here. 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The purpose of the church is greater than worship. It's one of the purposes of the church. We, we have a, a church culture day where there's an overemphasis on worship. Worship's awesome. I don't mean to belittle or negate worship, but I just got to be in his presence. And that's great. We, we do. We need to be in his presence. We need to be in his presence often. Corporate worship is a, a, a vital part of your Christian walk. Gather here and enjoy the presence of God together. That, that's a powerful thing. But here, here's a promise. If we're, we're coming to church seeking the presence of God. If you want the presence of God, get on mission. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel. Go lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. Go and do these things. And lo, I am with you always. You'll never sense the presence of God more than when you're out fulfilling this commission. When you go, he goes with you. We need to understand that. We need to understand that. There's a promise connected to our going and his being with us. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's read Mark's account of the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. He says, he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those believers. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, especially those who are in eastern Kentucky. (laughs) And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. This is our mission. This is our assignment. You'll notice, we're going to read four accounts in the Gospels. You'll notice that there are variations in the word why, the wording of it, the statements. There's little variations. There's consistency with the theme of what we're to be doing, but there's variances in the way that it's worded. Why? We have to remember these are witnesses' accounts. There are four different men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we're, we're going to read the commission from, and they are all witnesses. If there was a car accident out here and we were witnesses of it, if there were four of us, one on each corner, and, and, and uh, Officer Hall out there in the lobby shows up to fill out his report and he got our testimonies, there would be four different perspectives, right? Just like those of you that are taking notes this morning, if you guys get together com- to compare mo- notes, you've heard the same sermon, but you're going to have different notes, right? So that's what we're seeing here as we read through these. That It's the same mission, the same assignment. The wording may be a little different, but it's consistent. And that's what's important. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. He said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem their forgiveness of sins for all who repent, and you are witnesses of these things. Now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. This is all going to tie together here. We're gonna look, that's really going to tie together with Acts in just a second. John chapter 20, let's read this one. Again, he said, peace be with you. As, my, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we read five accounts here of the Great Commission. Is it clear? Do you know what your assignment is? This is the Great Commission. It's not the okay commission. This is the great commission. This is not the sub-agenda. This is the main agenda. 
And listen, church, I'm going to say this. If, if this is the okay commission, then it's okay to keep doing what, we're, what we've been doing. It's okay to be apathetic. It's okay to drop a, a nickel or a dime in the offering plate. It's okay not to tell our friends about Jesus. If this is just the okay commission. If this is a sub-agenda, let somebody else handle it. But that's not the way that this is. This is the priority. This is the main thing. If, if this is the okay commission, let's just stay as our status quo. Let's just keep showing up at church every third Sunday. That's, Barna says that, it, that, that those who show up every third Sunday consider themselves faithful attenders in church these days. Yeah, let's just keep going that way. Let, let's just kind of show up Sunday morning, do our diligence or do, do, do our responsibility, go to work, live our lives, live them the way we want to live them. What, what, what point are you trying to make, Pastor? Do we really understand the importance of this assignment and the gravity of it? Do we realize souls are at stake? Eternal destinies are on the line. We have the greatest gift, the greatest treasure, the greatest message. What are we doing with it? The Great Commission must happen. The church must rise and fulfill the Great Commission. I've been, I've been saying this since I showed up here. We need to lay aside every political agenda. I honestly don't care who wins the election. I care. I understand elections have consequences. I voted. I have a, I have a way I would like the thing to, out, to, to come out. But however it comes out, I'm going to keep going. It will not keep me from living the way that God has called me to live. Period. I'm going to keep going. The Great Commission must be fulfilled. How many of you, as we read through some of those things, those things seem daunting? Laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Let, let me tell you this. Your responsibility is not their healing. It's just your laying on of hands. Your obedience to what he's told you to do. Or about taking snakes up. And if they bite you, you're not going to die. Well, first place, he's not telling you to go do that. He didn't tell us to bring snakes to church. He says, if they bite you, you will live. That's the, that's the promise, right? How many of you will we'll be honest? I'm intimidated to preach. I can be intimidated to share the gospel with people at work. These things are daunting. Sometimes you, you, you look, you look at your cousin who's beating himself over the head with a folding chair. That looks like a, an impossible mission, right? Those are your coworkers. Your, those are the people you go to school. They, they look like impossible. There, there's no way the Lord's going to save them, right? So these things that the Lord is asking us to do, they're intimidating, some of these, this assignment can, can be, it seem impossible to us. But I want to encourage you, this, this is not mission impossible. This is mission inevitable. This is going to happen. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached and then the end will come. Amen? It will happen. We just have to be obedient to what he's asking us to do. It's that simple. We just have to step out in faith and do what he's told us to do. And I, I want to encourage you, it's, let, let's become full-time Christians. Let's get on this assignment. You will never beat a full-time devil being a part-time Christian. How many of you know he's not taking days off? How many of you know that he's come down with great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time, and his, his agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy every soul that he can? He wants to dip, disrupt your life and destroy and rob and take and plunder everything that he can from you, and he's not taking any days off right? We can't afford to take days off. 
It's time for us to get engaged. It's time for us to live this thing like we believe this thing. We need to live our lives as though we believe there is a harvest that is to be brought in, that there are souls to be saved, that there are disciples to be made. No more lackadaisical Christianity. We've got to get into this thing of discipleship, evangelism. We've got to get into it. We have to. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 35, do not say, there are still four months and then the harvest comes. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look, the fields, for they are already white for harvest. It's ready. The harvest is ready. It's time to bring it in. What, what's the problem? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. The workers are few. And I can look around the church and say amen. The workers are few. There are a lot of entertainers in the church, a lot of consumers in the church, but there aren't a lot of workers in the church. So he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers, that he would send laborers. That needs to be our prayer. We need to say, Lord, send laborers into the harvest, and Lord, send me into the harvest. I'm ready. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and get to work. You know what happens? You know, you know what our problem is? We're too fat to do the work. So y'all have heard we, we got a house. We're in renovation phase. How many of you know the feeling of being too fat to tie your shoe? Right? I get up, I get up in the, the... Sorry. I'm not trying to offend anybody. This is, this is my story. I, so I'm... If that's you, I'm touched by the feeling of your infirmities. My, my wife, I'm, the lights are out, it's early in the morning, I'm getting dressed, I'm over sitting on the chair trying to tie my shoe, and she says, why are you breathing so heavily? <laughs> Be easier if that thing wasn't in the way, right? She's talking about my stomach. As a preacher, you study you go to meetings, you have lunch with people, you're invited to people's homes. Not a whole lot of physical exertion in the job. Construction is totally opposite. So preacher man gets fat. We, we got this remodeling job though. I don't know, I, I don't know how many pounds, I, but I can feel it. So in two and a half weeks of work, I'm, I'm losing weight. Why? It's because I'm giving more output than I'm taking input. I'm burning more calories than I'm taking in, and so I'm losing weight. You know what our problem is in the church? More input than there is output. I mean, if you don't like my preaching, you can go on your YouTube channel and find your favorite preacher week in and week out and find 30 of his messages. I'm in, in, in remodeling over there at the house, I've got YouTube list going, listen to my favorite preachers, message after message after message after message, input. Spiritual input. But where's the output? Where, where are we exercising this thing? Where are we working? Where are we giving back? Christianity is not all about consumption, it is about giving. If you're consuming more than you're giving, you're getting fat. Spiritually fat, like Eli. Got so fat, he fell off his chair, right? And he was lethargic, apathetic, not taking care of the house of God, not taking care of the things of God. It's a picture of our spiritual condition. We need to be working. We need to be laboring. We need to be about the Father's business. We need to be doing what God has called us to do. There's a quote from a man named Elton uh, Trueblood. I love this. My favorite quote about evangelism. He says, evangelism is not the job for a few men. It is instead the responsibility of every person who belongs to Jesus. If you name the name of Jesus then you've got a responsibility to be 
evangelizing people and discipling people. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a disciple maker. Well, I'm not a spiritual giant. How can I disciple someone? If you stay one page ahead of somebody, you can disciple them. Maybe you've only been saved for six weeks, but if you're reading your Bible and you're plugged into Jesus and you've got a prayer life, you can help somebody who is being born into the faith and disciple them. That's a reality. All of us need to get in the process of discipleship, of evangelism. Amen? All of us. It's not for the professional preachers. It's not just for the five-fold ministry, right? We know what that is, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The work of ministry is not for them. Ephesians 4, 11 tells us that the, the, their work is to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Our job as pastors, as leaders in the church, is to equip the body to do the work of ministry. It's to train you to do evangelism, to train you to, do, to make disciples, to train you to do the work of ministry. That's our job as leaders in the house of God. But all of us have a responsibility to take this great commission and advance it. One more quote on evangelism. I, I, I can't... I, I, I love this one. I can't pass this one up. I don't know where this came from, but I love it. On, on evangelism, whoever said this, he said, prayer is the real work. Evangelism is just the mopping up. I was with Lee Strobel. We, we spoke at a conference in Portland, Oregon, probably eight years ago. He made a statement in this conference he said, why would you talk to somebody about Jesus before you've talked to Jesus about them? You think about that. Evangelism's hard when we don't pray. But when we've prayed, we can walk in and mop up. No man is going to come to the Father except the Spirit draws them. We've got to pray. We've got to activate the Holy Spirit in the work of ministry. Amen? Don't, don't go in your flesh trying to win somebody to Jesus. Don't go in your own motivation. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go prayed up. Maybe that's part of your difficulty. Maybe you're just working it in the flesh. You need the prophetic edge that the Holy Spirit will bring to you through prayer. But God's called each and every one of us to be evangelists and to be disciple makers. Listen, I, I, I want to emphasize this. Our job as a church is not just to get somebody to an altar and lead them through a sinner's prayer. Listen, you can say a sinner's prayer and still go to hell. That's a reality. What saves? True faith in Jesus Christ. Saving faith in Jesus. Believing in the heart, confessing with the mouth transformation to the point of transformation you must be born again jesus says new birth not ritual not going through a routine not repeating a prayer but a new birth experience is what saves us faith that converts our hearts to believing hearts that's what saves us and when somebody comes to an altar we can't just suppose because they've said a prayer that that's enough we've got to take them into a process then of discipleship and all of us, all of us need to be in on that process. We, we as a church, we, we've got to develop and cultivate a, a process of discipleship, small groups, and, and, and a, a pathway, a, a, a pipeline, if you will, to get a, a new convert to a place of spiritual maturity. We've got to develop that as a church holistically. We've got to do that. But it also takes every individual of the church making a contribution coming alongside new believers, encouraging them in their faith, helping to teach them and instruct them and show them what it means to follow Jesus, living a life of example. That's discipleship. That's what God has called us to. You know what, I'm thrilled about what God's doing here. And I wanna say this, I said it last Sunday, but I honor Bill and Liz Hudson. 
They are a tremendous couple. They have my respect to the nth degree. I love and I respect Bill and Liz Hudson, with everything that's on the inside of me. And I am grateful to be here. I'm grateful. I, I, I don't, honestly, I could keep doing my job as the associate pastor and do what God's called me to do. I get what God is doing and that there's a transition transpiring. But we need to understand this, church. Here, here is, I want you to understand this. Here is a relationship being formed, a partnership is the way I see it with the Hudsons. Rachel and I have prayed for years. My wife especially has prayed for years. Lord, send us a mature couple that can walk with us and help us find a balance. We prayed this for years. So this is a partnership, and I am so excited about what God is going to do. I love Pastor Bill's heart for the lost. I love what he's doing over at Portland. We as a church are going to grow in our outreach. Sadly, the statistics say that 85, some of them even say that 92% of church funds, what comes in an offering plate on a Sunday morning in a church in the United States of America, 85 to 92% of those funds are spent in-house. Mortgages, utilities, uh, resources, staff. 85 to 92% of all the finances in America that come into the church are spent in-house. That's got to change. That's got to change. I thank God that he's allowed me to be exposed to some churches. I know of three churches, very specifically, over 50% of their annual budget goes out to missions and outreach. I believe that one day, return church, we're not there yet. We're giving in missions. We're doing things in outreach. We're not nearly anywhere close to that yet. But I believe God can do that here to where we are giving 50% of everything that comes into this house towards missions, towards outreaches, towards church planting, taking the gospel out, not just the inward thing and the inward focus. That's why I thank God for a partnership. Pastor Bill, who understands outreach, who understands how to get some of these things done, who has a heart, not just an understanding, but a heart for the people that he's reaching. I think we're going to be like Batman and Robin dynamic duo. And, and not only that, but I believe there are, are, are dozens of ministers that God will raise up in this house. I believe we'll be ascending church. I like one of the statements I heard from Rick Warren a long time ago. He said, a church should never be judged by its seating capacity. It should be judged by its sending capacity. Yes. Amen. How many, how many teams can we send out into the neighborhoods? How many church planners can we send out? How many missionaries can we send forth to preach the gospel to the nations? Amen? That's got to be a vision for the church. I have vision that one day we're going to have a, a, a discipleship program, an intern program, where we are training people to preach and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go out and do evangelism, to go out and make disciples of the nations. We're, we're going to raise that up right here in Clarksville, Indiana. I believe it. I have a burden and a vision. I want, I want to see in my lifetime, I want to be responsible for influencing 100 young men or women to go to the nations and preach the gospel. We, we need a volunteer student movement. It happened in the 1800s, the volunteer student, student, student movement, where thousands of college students we're called for the gospel for one of two purposes, either to go as a missionary or to start a business to fund missionaries. And do you know that many of the great American countries, uh, companies of the 20th century were started because of the volunteer student movement? Some of the greatest corporations in the United States grew out of that, and they were initially started to be funding channels for missionaries. We need a movement like that again. America is no longer the great sending nation that it was. We need a revival of missions and evangelism and discipleship. I, I'm going to go uh, next this Wednesday and, and preach to some pastors, and I'm going to be talking about that. We need a revival of these things in the church, not to just be a gathering center, but to be a sending center. That's what God, I believe, wants the church to do, to be a people who make disciples. I'm going to wrap up with this idea. 
that we are to be making disciples. There's a pattern. I love this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. How many of you have ever heard me quote that? 2 Tim 2.2. 2 Tim 2.2. It's easy to remember. Paul says to Timothy, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this one verse, there are four generations. The apostle Paul discipling Timothy, who tells Timothy to find faithful men to disciple so that they may in turn find other faithful men that they would disciple. This is the picture of what the church is supposed to look like. The church isn't supposed to be about one figure that's the central figure of the church, It's supposed to be a mighty army rising together to make disciples, to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to look like. What's the most effective way to to make disciples? Think about it. Here it is, statistically proven. The greatest way to make disciples is to plant churches. Most converts are made through church planting around the world. It's consistent. You do research and surveys around the world. It's consistent. The most effective way to win people is to plant a church. The church needs to be a church planting organization. Church of Antioch is a great model of this. Acts chapter 13. The apostle Paul was sent out of the church of Antioch on all of his missionary uh, missions. Paul did not self-initiate. I don't don't believe in self-initiation. I believe you need to submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. Submit yourself to church authority. And in due time, God will raise you up. And and God will use church authority to send you out or to assign you or to ordain you. Or as we're talking about presbytery, the laying on of hands of the elders of the church, right? The leadership of the church, the apostles, the leadership of the church, laying on of hands to set people into an office ordained by God. The church needs to be an organization that does that, that activates, that that finds them, trains them, equips them, empowers them, and sends them to do ministry. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's a sending organization. It's a commissioning organization. We need to be commissioning. Apostle Paul was commissioned. The, The elders and the leaders of the church at Antioch prayed, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them to send Paul, right? That's what the church is supposed to look like. The most effective way to win souls is to plant churches. When we have disciples making disciples, eventually what happens is churches planting churches. Disciples making disciples becomes churches planting churches. How many of you like to read? Show of hands. Readers are leaders, right? Here's a good book for you. Wiki Church. Wiki Church. Wiki is a Hawaiian word. means quick. Wiki Church is a book of some crazy guys that went to uh, two, two Asian cities, one of them, Manila in the Philippines. They, they were going to be on a two-month trip, one month in Manila, and then they were going to go to another city a month later. Their vision was, were, was to plant two churches, one in each city, and by the time they left those cities to have raised the leadership of those churches to be able to sustain, sustain themselves. How many of you think that sounds crazy? It was. They, they learned along the way that it was a little ambitious, but you know what they did? They stumbled onto a process of discipleship that radically grew the church. This church that started back in the early 1980s by, uh, by a man named Stu, Steve Morell and uh, another man named Rice Brooks. You've seen God's Not Dead, the movie. Rice Brooks wrote the book that that's based on. But these two men went to this city with a vision to raise up men who could sustain themselves in the faith. And you know what they ended up doing? Finding a process of discipleship. You know what they did? They built a church that today has nearly 100,000 people. Victory Church in Manila, Philippines. 100,000 people almost in membership. And you know what else they've done? They've managed to plant over 500 churches around the world. How? 2 Tim 2-2. It started with two leaders in a church that said, we're not going to do all the ministry. We're going to teach the people to do ministry. And it produced a multiplying force. How how do you grow a church of 100,000 people? 
Discipleship. It's what Jesus told us to do, right? How about the day that Jesus planted a church? Look at Acts 2.47. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let me read that again. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There have been, I would imagine, dozens over the six-year history of this church who have been saved here. Dozens. Let's multiply that. Can you get a vision for that? Let's multiply that. What, what we do, church, our greatest impact, it won't so much be based on what we do here on Sunday mornings. And I believe that's one of the great things that we're seeing. This, this pandemic has been wretched and horrible, but we're seeing some great things coming out of it. And you know, I, I, I started saying this way back at the beginning of this thing. You know what happened? The church left the building. We as pastors have not been able to depend on our Sunday morning ministry to be able to minister to everybody in the church. We have to be on the phone more. We have to be face-to-face visits more often. We have to do social media stuff more often, uh, more contact. We have to be more purposeful about reaching out to people and ministering to people. I have not worked in 23 years of ministry. I have not worked as hard as I have this year. It's the best thing that ever happened to us. Probably the worst thing that has ever happened to us. It's the best thing that's happened to us, though. It's pushing us out of our box. And I'm going to tell you this church in the next 10 and 20 years will not look like it looked like in 1980 and 1990 and 2000 and 2010. It's going to be a mobile organization. It's going to be, we're going to see more small group meetings. We're going to see more, and I believe the corporate gatherings are going to get bigger than they ever have. Somebody asked a friend of mine, we were in a, a group of pastors on a video conference, they asked him, is the, is the, is the megachurch dead? And I love my, my friend's response. He said, no, because God wants to grow his church. He said, churches will be bigger than they've ever been before. And I believe that. But we've got to get more vigilant down on the grassroots level, house to house. Acts 5.42, it says they, 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 they preached and taught Jesus in the synagogue and from house to house. For so long in American church, we've missed that element of ministry. Going into somebody's house and laying hands on the sick. Having meals together. The danger of the megachurch is anonymity. We can come in and we can slip out. And nobody knows we're there, nobody knows we're gone. The real power of what happens in the church happens day to day. I believe that addition in the church happens on on Sunday, but the multiplication happens Monday through Saturday. What are we doing week in and week out, every day of the week? Christianity is not summed up on Sunday morning. If the sum of your Christianity is an hour on Sunday morning, you're bankrupt. God's called us to something so much deeper. For us to live our lives together in a way. Listen, I want to challenge you. Get out of your home and go knock on your neighbor's doors. Take your coworkers to lunch. You have lunch every day. Why eat alone? I try to have as many lunch appointments during the week as I can. I want to sit down with somebody. I want to get to know people. I want to minister to people. I want to disciple people. I want to share scripture with people. I want to be with people. Why eat alone? Right? You're more likely to win somebody to Jesus at the dinner table than you are in your cubicle or at the water cooler. They are bottled up and mummed up. They're not going to say a word and respond to the gospel in, in your office. But if you can get them to lunch, they will break down in tears, telling you all the horrible things that are going on in their life. And pain is a door of ministry. And you seize on that, and you minister to them, and you bring healing and hope and comfort to their life and introduce them to Jesus. We've got to get to this kind of living church. I want to wrap up with one last scripture. And by the way, we're, we're, at, we're after souls. 
not recycled sheep. If the Lord leads somebody from another church here, great. But our great goal is not to see how many Christians we can get from other churches. We are after souls. May we see our altars filled every week with dozens being saved, being filled with God's spirit, being set free from the bondage and the, and the, the trap of sin. May we see that. Let, let's wrap up with this. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 1. Just one phrase that I want to lift and I want to encourage you with it this morning. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained, who have obtained like precious faith. Paul's an apostle. But he's writing to these folks and he says, you have obtained like precious faith. In other words, you know, God may have called me to be an apostle, but the reality of it is I'm really no different than you are. I have the same faith that you have. You, you, you may not be ordained. You may not have a certificate of ordination or a credential or a title, but you've got a call. You've got a call. One, one translation of that verse, it says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. The reality of us, every one of, the, this, every one of us in this room have faith of equal standing. If you put your hope, your faith, your confidence, and your trust in Jesus Christ, there, there, there's no levels. There, there, there are no super saints. If you're a saint, you're a super saint. All of us are super saints. There, 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 there's no superiority. There, there's no pecking order. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in authority, and I believe in respecting, and God sets people in leadership, and I honor those men. I believe in that. I heard one man say one time, when I get to heaven, the Lord told me I'm going to be a teacher in heaven. Guess what? Wrong. <laughs> you won't have a title of apostle or teacher or prophet or evangelist in heaven. You're going to be a child seated at his table. If you believe in Jesus, we're equal. We're heirs join heirs with Jesus Christ. And the call of God on your life is just as significant as it is upon my life. I may be the guy standing in the pulpit this morning, but I am no more significant in this thing of the church than any of you. God's called you with great purpose. There's an anointing upon your life that God has. There's a purpose and a plan that God has specifically for you. And in fact, I'm gonna say this, there's some things that you can do that I will never, ever be able to accomplish. God wants to use all of us together to fulfill this great commission. Amen, let's stand together. If it really is a great commission, then our plans are too small. Our giving is too chintzy. Our witnessing is weak. Our disciple making is lacking. Church, we need to get a bigger vision. We need to become more passionate about this, this assignment that God's given us. Amen? We need to pray more. We need to give more. We need to witness more. We need to be more involved, more committed, more, uh, we, we need to build more community. We need to worship more. Amen? We need to do more. If we really believe what this is telling us, we need to do more. I want everybody in this hand, uh, in, in this building to raise your hands, and I want you to pray with me. Father, increase us. 
Father, increase our capacity. Father, give us vision. Pray that from your heart. Lord, expand, Lord God. Give us greater vision, Lord God. Lord, help us to believe you, Lord God. Uh, we, we don't want to do good things. We don't want to do great things. We want to do God things. We want to be wrapped up in the middle of your vision, Lord God. Father, we don't want to just do things and pray that you would bless it, Lord God. We want to find out what you are blessing and do it. Father, help us to understand your plan. Help us to understand your purpose, Lord God. Father, I just pray right now that everybody under the sound of my voice, Lord God, would begin to rise. Help us to rise, O oh God, and take our place to fulfill the assignment, Lord, that you have given us. Help us, O oh God, to do the work that you have called us to do, Lord God. Help us to reach the lost. Help us to make disciples, Lord God, to teach people to follow after you. It's not rocket scientists. It's rocket science. We don't have to be theologians. We don't have to be super giants in, 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 our, in our faith, Lord God. If we have mustard seed faith, if we're following after you, Lord God, we can do it. If we'll just obey what you've asked us to do, Lord, we can do it, Lord God. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would empower us, Lord God, to do the work that you have called us to do. Father, I thank you for it. And Father, I pray that you would give us a burden. Give us a burden for the lost. Sometimes that coworker can annoy us. We can't wait to get out of their presence. Lord, give us a burden. Lord, help us to see the weight and the gravity of reality of eternity and to view everybody in that light. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.